right, folks, well, welcome back for another episode of Tanzu Talk. I'm going to hold with that pronunciation. Uh, with me this week is sort of a lot of familiar uh, faces, voices. Uh, we've got Richard. Normally, like Richard would be doing this one with Kote, but since Kote has more important things to do right now with the, with the newborn, um, I'm either I'm doing my best Kote impression or Richard's doing his best domain co-host impression. One of those. Mm. Feel free to say something. Yeah, no, I've got a lot of facts stored up about medieval farming, so I can't wait to, to bust those out to do my best domain. Crop rotation, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the beans look good this year. They're coming in strong. Oh, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Jared, another uh, familiar face, uh, voice. I shouldn't say face, like we're not actually showing our faces. The face so. is very familiar as well. So, you know, may not get the full experience of the visual on the podcast, but it's a very familiar face. Yeah. If anyone was right now, they'd, they'd be like deep in each of our homes, which is an extra scary thing. Um, yeah. And our, our last guest today, uh, someone who, who's probably going to make a few repeat appearances, has the most stark background, which <laughs> does beg the question, Patent cell, mm-hmm. soundproof wood <laughs> shopping area. Like, is this your one call you're allowed to have? Like, a, yeah, give us some details. This is yeah. the only quiet space in my home now, which is a far corner of my basement where hopefully my kids won't find me. Okay. Well, yeah. that's, you know, um, just uh, is there water or chocolate or something that's within arm's reach so that we know that you're safe? Like, you can blink twice to let us know. I'm going to make yeah. it through this podcast with you. I promise. Okay. Yeah. Um, well that folks, that is Scott Buchanan. I'm like, you know, then there's the cheers, but we don't actually have like the, the laugh track or the cheer track. I could try to add that on. Whichever but, one. Yeah. Edit in later. Yeah. Um, so uh, Scott, you want to introduce yourself a little bit more for the, the Tanzu talk crowd? Sure. Uh, I am Senior Director of Product Marketing at VMware in the same Modern Apps business unit as the rest of the crew today. I've been at VMware for 18 months. I arrived by the acquisition of a company called Heptio that was in the Kubernetes space. It's been a joyous ride. Now I'm joined by Richard and Jared and Dormain. What a lucky fella I am. Yeah, it's, you know, like uh, we'll get the the matching jackets and stuff, the satin ones, like the team team style. Like the pink those, ladies. Those are my yeah. favorite. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we don't have to do pink. It's not a really flattering color on me personally, but maybe you all can wear it better. So, um, well, one of the reasons I wanted to get this particular crew together is we kind of had a bunch of announcements uh, recently. So some good milestones following on the the big Tanzu launch. If you were tuning in, uh, Jared was a, a guest on an episode with Richard and Cote going through that round of announcements. But you know, here we are a month later, and it's uh, coming in fast and furious. So thought it would be good to just do a quick rundown, uh, so you can get the the spoken word version. Uh, if you uh, if you whether or not you read the blog post that went out on on Tuesday, April fourteenth. So I don't know, do we, I mean, I just said spoken words, so that's a trigger for me. I don't know about you guys, but um, 
Um, does, does anyone want to jam? Are we going to rhyme? Uh, I already quizzed Scott on iambic pentameter once before. I think I might regret that. It makes me think of going to poetry slams at the Green That's Hill in Chicago. Are we going to like hiss and snap in order to provide feedback to one another? I would love some snaps. I think like if we can earn snaps, that's a good, that's a good goal. Um, so, and then I think we need to also sprinkle in there. I really liked some of the, the like working from home tips. I feel like we're all a little bit further in on our journey of working from home, living at home, having everything, uh, within our, our four walls, or I guess there's slightly more than four walls that, make up my house because it's not like a perfect rectangular square or uh rhombus that would also be for um if anyone lives in a rhombus shaped house i really want to know but um yeah so like we can also pause at some point or if we just want to take one product and then take a tip uh i don't know does anyone want to go first or i will that's a threat kick us off domain which product did you want to cover first Okay, you know, I'm going to go by an old standby, which is Tanzu Application Service 2.9. And I'm looking at Jared for the, the, the related one to cover that. So Tanzu Application Service 2.9, um, which adds, uh, I like the kind of um, extra support for chatty applications, just because I'm kind of chatty myself. So applications that are, you know, spewing off a, a lot of logs, so better ways to handle that, and uh, some additional features to support more mm-hmm. .NET workloads. So the way when I was kind of looking through uh, mostly Jared's summary of, of the, the release, it struck me as, okay, really we're able to just add even more types of workloads and applications to this already well-proven platform, which is great. And so a lot of folks are enjoying benefits from running tons of application service, but they've run into corner cases. Oh, I can't quite do this one, or I need a particular feature. And it seems like, you know, 2.9 starts to just bust down more and more of those. So the the list keeps growing of the types of applications you can run on it. Um, so that's kind of my short version. I don't know. What did I, what did I miss? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're looking to break down walls and what you can get on a platform, maybe you're in this, you know, kind of octagon of enterprise applications and you're kind of stuck in this octagon, you break down the walls to get your apps on a platform. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this uh, is what you kind of described earlier, you know, Dormain, we were talking about this. There's kind of a mature theme and an emerging theme to some of the stuff that's being talked about. And uh, certainly with TAS 2.9, you're talking about the mature end of the spectrum and there are companies, you know, at you know pretty crazy scale with this thing, you know, running hundreds of applications, you know, tens of thousands of containers, just doing some pretty remarkable things. And once you kind of get past a lot of those core scenarios and you're in really like year three, year four of your transformation, you start to uncover those corner cases, as you said. So there's things that have kind of your know, quirky architecture patterns that you still want to bring to the platform to get some of those efficiencies like. The, the chatty thing that you mentioned is a good example. There's also like a custom timeout interval. You know, if you've got some applications that don't quite have a modern architecture, you need to you know, let them uh, have a little bit more time to finish up whatever process they're running. 
before you can you know, spin down the container they're running on. And so a lot of customers may be running at crazy scale, but there's you know, a whole class of workloads that are really important that can't quite fit into the platform based on that type of constraint. And so now there's a way you can have this you know, custom timeout interval. And so um, in itself is you know, an interesting feature, um, maybe not gonna grab, uh, grab headlines in any you know, tech press, but then kind of taken collectively, you look at you know, maybe 10, 12 interesting features that we have every release. A lot of them kind of fall into that category. And so now you just have you know, more and more ways to standardize more and more things on the platform and get more and more efficiencies. The .NET stuff is as good as you say, like the streaming logs directly to the console. You know, uh, when you can do that, it's indirect uh, adherence to one of the 12 factor applications, you know, so instead of having to go through some manual processes that take a few days, you can now do that, you know, instantly. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, just make, I think a lot of customers uh, breathe a sigh of relief about some of the things that we've built into the platform, just kind of continuing to allow them to operate at scale. And I think probably the last few releases have had the same type of type of feel to it. So um, there is a new name to the platform, of course, uh, but we are seeing that same regular cadence of enhancements um, just break down more and more of those walls. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's probably worth uh, reiterating. This is the artist formerly known as uh, Pivotal Application Service, or if you've been around for a while, PCF, Pivotal Cloud Foundry. Um, so uh, yeah, lots of names, just just like the, the aunt that keeps getting remarried or something. Um, that might be a weird comparison mm. to make. Uh, yeah. We'll see there's if that's a, next. There's a story to hear from you on that one. The other two things that I saw in there, Jared, that stood to me were uh, some of the apps manager improvements, metrics mm -hmm. and apps manager, sidecar processes are visible, revisions were already visible, app revisions are actually enabled by default for things like rollback. Actually, Scott, I wanted to ask you, I don't know, with apps manager and any of the sort of UIs on these server-side products, are UIs for... I don't know, first time users, or do you think power users care about the user interface? Like, is that something that just shows really well, these sort of dashboard experiences and things like that? Or do real real operators and real devs use scripting and CLIs only? Um, <laughs> I think that you're better suited to answer that question, Richard. So uh, um, I, I'm more interested in what you think about that. You're a power user. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretend power user now, so I like user interfaces, that graphical user interface. It lets me quick do something versus learn all the plumbing. I'm just interested, especially as we see large customers who, hey, when you have 10,000 apps, you're not gonna go into a dashboard and click through, mm. you know, paging through 10,000 apps. You're gonna use scripts, you're gonna use different tendency models. So it's just interesting to me. I, I like the graphical user interface. I like investments that PKS and now TKG does around that. You know, ops manager, apps manager. I think those interfaces matter a lot. The more and more I'm curious as to when somebody hits scale, like does anyone use the AWS console at scale? Does anyone use some of those experiences at scale? Or is that just a good first run experience to help me learn the platforms? Be interested to our listeners as well of what they hear and think about that as well. Yeah, I mean, the hooks in to be able to automate uh, certainly are, are definitely the ones that I hear from, from some of our larger users that they'll go crazy on any of the APIs we give them. Um, mm -hmm. so, but I think you're right. I think sometimes just having the clean packaging, some, whether it's for a really new user, or if it's, you're really trying to expose a, a capability to folks that they may not have really played around with yet. So it's, it depend. You, you can be on the learning curve, even if you've been using a product for a while, right? Because the product mm -hmm. doesn't stand still. 
So yeah, you might not grow the graphical user interface, but that would imply you had to use it in the first place to grow out of it. So it seems like it's something that really helps people get started before they get to get more experienced. But again, that's probably a, an interesting question for analysts and our users as well. There's no. another element to the release too with a new app metrics module. I think we've seen some of this with the observability uh, you know, tool from, from Wavefront where the UIs tend to be really useful at scale with some maturity if you can customize the heck out of them and look at how you can you know, tweak the thresholds, tweak the metrics, you know, tweak some of the things that really relate to the systems that you're trying to observe and keep tabs on. So I think we've seen that some of the out-of-the-box stuff doesn't quite work as well. It may be useful things in the sales process, and all of us as, as marketers you know, definitely appreciate some good uh, flash in the sales process, but then being really useful at scale, that utility sometimes comes down to you know, how much it can reflect what you as the operator or developer care about. Mm-hmm. Well, let's like, so what's the next thing? There was a, to your point, there was a, a another dimension to the app service in this particular release. So we recently hit a milestone uh, for the Tanzu application service for Kubernetes. Is it on Kubernetes or for Kubernetes? Yeah, big four. battle on, on prepositions there. I think uh, <laughs> for Kubernetes is is where we where we landed on it. So uh, so yeah, so Richard uh, had a, a nice uh, breakdown blog of it. There'll be a, another you know, flavor that we put out you know before too long here. Um, I think for for me this was a really exciting you know evolution where uh, if we just talked about the the current 2.9 product being the you know mature version, the for Kubernetes version is the emerging you know flavor of that and. If you think about what you need in an application platform, uh, you know, really what you need in 2020 is the same as what you needed in you know, 2013 when maybe Cloud Foundry first launched. You need some way to manage infrastructure lifecycle. You need containers. You need metrics. You need some kind of your runtime. You know, it's still a software that needs the same components to run. And clearly, if you're, you're looking at rebuilding something from scratch in the year 2020, you're going to use a different set of ingredients than maybe we did, you know, in the in the 2012, you know, days, just because the technology has come a long way since then to uh, have a bit of an understatement there. So, um, if you think about how you would rebuild an application platform for this, you know, Kubernetes moment, this CNCF, you know, kind of age that we're in, um, you can probably guess what components that uh, would be a part of that, and um, that's essentially what's been you know remastered into this you know, new flavor. Uh, this now a beta, publicly accessible. Just go to. Uh, Network.pivotal.io, um, create an account, download the bits, and you're off the races. And then uh, Richard can tell you how to best spend the first 20 minutes with that product. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that jumped out at me on that one was that, you know, it, the, the install and, and footprint um, seemed to be a lot faster and smaller, which either way, it's cool. And it opens up some some new uh, opportunities for where to run that and how to run it. And so that that sort of struck me as that's that's cool and something that you get over and above like all the things that you may already have come to love and trust about the CF push experience and, you know, the, just the overall TAS experience. It's like, mm-hmm. other than, okay, you're, you're changing sort of the underlying uh, orchestration, like what else do I get from this? And it's like, well, that's, that's worth it. You know, like that's something that's smaller footprints, faster startup time. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, Our friends at Red Monk say the best packaging wins, something like that. You know, yeah. And even the, our old colleague, 
Andrew Clay Schaefer would talk about the mean time to dopamine as well. And if I have to wait three hours to try your thing, because things get spun up again, maybe it's going to be worth it. Plenty of things take three hours to, to bake. But for the most part, I like that in four minutes, I can have this running as a full featured version on my desktop. That's just a different ballgame for us. So again, for those folks who aren't as familiar with this, I mean, this is a fully containerized, not any VMs to be seen. Obviously, there's VMs under something. It's turtles, whatever, all the way down. But from a user perspective, this is just a containerized control plane. This is containerized components. It's not just the existing components running on Kubernetes. You've replaced things like the Go router with Istio. You've replaced some of the logging infrastructure with CNCF logging products. You've gotten build packs, cloud native build packs, not cloud foundry build packs baked in. So it's a really cool combination of kind of the most bleeding edge cloud native tech, but probably the safest packaging because at least you know and trust that VMware a pivotal do a good job combining open source projects. So it's kind of a neat way that maybe, I don't know, it all of a sudden moves the ball forward significantly because now you've taken all of the best plumbing and put on the dev experience we've always liked, which is that CF push, CF scale, CF logs experience. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, as folks take that out for some test drives and, and kick the tires on it. Um, hey, those were two analogies that were actually consistent, I might add, Yeah, car related. Uh, but as that happens, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting feedback from, from users out there. Yeah, and I will point out real quick too, the other thing we, Jared, uh, fought for was making this an open beta. So a traditional pivotal beta, you know, and maybe, Scott, you could say the same with, with VMware is often like, hey, especially in early stages, we're going to gate this, we're going to collect feedback, we're going to go to some target customers. And that's often awesome. But at the same time, this is, this is kind of a new, interesting thing. I think the more people that kick the tires, the better for us to get good feedback, to see new use cases, all those new tire kickers who maybe wouldn't have looked at the classic Cloud Foundry environment. So Jared, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I mean, it's nice, there's pretty much no strings attached here. You can get a free Tanzu network account and take it for a spin and never hear from us again. Yeah, that's right. And uh, if, if we all love a good dashboard and the sales process, we also love a frictionless evaluation you know, kind of new process. And so, this is something that, yeah, within minutes you have ready to go in your laptop if you want to, or anywhere you have a Kate's runtime, your public cloud VMs, managed service, what have you. And so having something that you know, individual practitioners can bang on and get a feel for is you know, uh, a really you know, big uh, difference. And I think what we've done in the past, we're not asking for three dozen VMs anymore and you know, a, a prolonged you know, POC type of process. So if you're interested in all in anything, Kubernetes or CNCF or containers, this is going to be a really important piece of tech for you to you get familiar with and you can do so in the way that you probably would expect. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important here too, right? That's uh, a common thread across our use of Kubernetes in multiple products in our portfolio is it's about uh, driving adoption of the technology in a way that makes sense for the enterprise. Like how do we simplify that? And uh, you know, the other key principle here is how do we use Kubernetes to make our foundational products better? It's not about you know, Kubernetes for Kubernetes sake because it's cool. It's because it actually fundamentally drives value for the organization. So I, that's what I see. Yeah, I mean, what have you learned, Scott, since you've kind of got smashed together with, with us characters and now Mappy you in this business unit? Like what didn't you know about Pivotal application service, now Tanzu application service that you do now, and whether you know good or bad or ugly, what is, what is something you felt like you've picked up about the product? I think um, uh, you know the the impact on developer experience is something that I've probably underappreciated. And when I listen to 
the end users talk about how this has fundamentally changed their organizations, the way that they get code into production, you sort of realize the the magnitude of uh, of the technology. So, I mean, these are things that I understood from the outside looking in, but being more familiar now with customer stories. And, you know, we're becoming increasingly familiar with the importance of getting code into production quickly, given the current environment in which we're living and operating, right? Like where it can be imperative for an organization to get something into development, uh, from development into production very, very quickly. When you have technology like Tanzu Application Service, uh, you know, suddenly that's a reality. Well, um, before we shift on to build service, I realized I totally forgot to slip in our uh, working from home tips. Uh, I, I've used this one before, but, uh, I don't think on, on Tanzu talk it's, it's the taking my one-on-one calls as walking calls so that I get some steps in. That's, that's been serving me well. So a good tip. yeah. Keep it on the move. How mm-hmm. about you, Jared? I think last time, uh, fortune coach, I made a point about coffee. Uh, so I still maintain that being a big thing. I told Dormain earlier today that I refrained from drinking uh, some instant coffee that had expired three years ago. So I'm not a complete, complete addict. Took some strength to, to not go there. Uh, so we switched from beverage, from beverage to food. I'll say snacks are important. Uh, those of us that work in a lot of tech offices are used to maybe snacks at the ready. So try and replicate the, the snack game as best you can at home. And hopefully with things like, you know, almonds or seaweed or things like that, not uh, couch potato food, but something that would maybe satisfy the craving a little bit without uh, killing your productivity in the afternoon. Yeah. I do a lot of like walnuts and chocolate chips. So I... Just the the chocolate chip? (laughs) Just chocolate chips. We're burning through chocolate chips in our house at a pretty alarming rate. And I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for most of that. We're not baking Mm -hmm. chocolate chip cookies all the time. It's because I'm like slipping chocolate chips into like my oatmeal in the morning and with my walnuts. Um, but I feel like the walnuts are really healthy and then the chocolate chips just make it a little bit more palatable mm. and interesting. Because eating like handfuls of walnuts, have you done that? Like you're, at a certain point, it's like you're eating chalk. I'm not really a nut guy, so I can't really empathize with you. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to have like my my proteins and everything, apparently. Yeah, of all the, of all the kind of bowls of nuts you can have. I don't think walnuts are too common on that list. So I think the, the walnuts in moderation are a popular, popular stance. Okay. Okay. That's a fair point. It's I'm not living the, that life right now, but I understand where you're coming yeah. from. All right. So um, back to, back to our rundown. Uh, there was one more part of the portfolio that hit an interesting milestone that still it kind of lumps in with the app service in that it, it, it's part of the looking at the world from solving from the application uh, centric perspective. Uh, and, and so that's the, the build service hitting a beta. So Richard, what can you, what can you tell us about that one? Yeah. I mean, it takes the best of what build packs does, which is how do I go from source to a container image? And on one hand, that, that that's not an unsolved problem. Like we've been doing that with Docker for years. So that's not a hard thing. Now, there's trickiness in how do I build up a container image because it's, you know, I'm making it out of layers. There's a basic layer, there's an operating operating system with a file system, and you've got an app server, and you've got pieces to that. And so where is a developer sourcing that from? 
you know, there's a lot of choices there. I copy and paste from Stack Overflow. Most people are better than me. So that's good. But is it a consistent process within your organization of how you're building these? Because that is still a stack within that container image. And if there's a vulnerability or you've chosen something from some sort of public registry where there's a vulnerability, that's a lot of exposure to the company. So there is something about having a kind of secure software supply chain, something where I, I can know, have some provenance. I understand where everything came from that went into my container image. And that's interesting. And Pivotal Build Service or Tanzu Build Service does that. Terrific. But the other thing I think that's more interesting, frankly, is what happens when you're done the first build? Because there's going to be more, right? That something in that stack is going to go bad every couple of days, week. Like an operating system needs to be patched. The JVM has a bug. The app server has an issue. Your code changes. And probably that code might be the last thing that changes. You might only have to change your code once a quarter, but something in that stack is going bad. So how often are you reassembling that container image? And the other nice thing that the build service does is monitor those other sources. So, hey, the operating system changed. Cool, let's regenerate those container images. And then if you have a pipeline set, you could actually be constantly updating your production environments with actually no human interaction, which is pretty neat. So by monitoring the source of the operating system, the sort of build pack level like the JVM or the .NET runtime or whatever, and then also your, your source repository, if any of those sources change to trigger a build is pretty powerful, especially as companies start going from, hey, we have a few containers to our company runs on container images, you're going to hit a sustainability problem really quickly. Mm -hmm. And something like a build service, which is constantly keeping you healthy, I think is pretty interesting stuff. So you you made a, a, a strong case here for like, this is a really useful thing when you, you're you touching lots of different development teams and you're trying to drive consistency in the way they're building their containers. But I'm just thinking about, okay, so there's this beta available. Now my question is, who's the right kind of person to be playing around with the beta and kicking the tires is it an individual developer development team that's just like, you know, I'm sold on the individual benefits of like, if I have to rebuild this every couple of days because some component of my stack keeps changing, like done, like this seems better than what I'm doing, even as an individual. Or is it someone who's like, hey, I'm trying to manage a process across a bunch of different development teams and I want that consistency. Who should be kicking the tires? Like, or both? Yeah, if I were... Uh doing a bad job of staying on message, I would say that the build service is not a dev tool, it's an ops tool. And I say that because the people who probably care the most about how stuff is packaged for production is an operations team that then gets has to figure out how to patch infrastructure. They have to be like, prove to an auditor that they actually are not running an old version of SSL or what have you. So on one hand, I think the operator team is the one looking going, what are those sort of just base layers that I don't care what platform you deploy to, whether it's a VMware platform or a public cloud Kubernetes or a Docker data center, like I don't care. I need a standard way to build containers. Mm -hmm. Just like I need a standard way for authentication with Azure Active Directory or Azure Directory on-premises, or here's a standard way we do logging or whatever, right? I think there's a set of plumbing things that most enterprises don't need a ton of variety on because that's a lot of risk. And so if I'm an operator team, especially I think still in most enterprises where there are not product teams around every app. So there isn't someone to go upstream and say, hey, can you quick rebuild your container? There's a vulnerability. That person doesn't exist for a lot of the apps. So if you can hit a place where monitored or not, all of these sort of containers are constantly being refreshed and redeployed, that strikes me as more of an infosec operator excitement. Now for right now, the tire kickers will be devs because it's the easiest thing to try out. 
they're going to be the ones that evangelize this, I think, back to an operator team. But I think the end value, frankly, is probably going to go to operators because I'm sure plenty of people are in a place, developers, where they're done once they check in their source code. They're not even responsible for building the container, potentially. Their CI, CD pipeline does it, and they never touch it again. So they may never even have the build problem. That may be an operator thing. Some organizations where you build and run your own service, absolutely, you're going to care about the build process. So it'll be interesting to see how those personas differ based on how the org is set up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense that the the ops team really over, over the the broader scheme of what they have on their plate, yeah, it's it's super compelling. I just find it interesting that really an individual developer could find this useful. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and as a beta, it's it's fun for folks to play around with stuff. Definitely. And the idea of like, you know, you check in your code and then you're like, I'm out. It's like, I don't know. Is that like me with like our cat where like once I feed the cat and I'm kind of like, I'm done. Like you're around, like maybe I'll acknowledge your presence and maybe I won't. I feel like that's kind of how the cat treats me. So um, it's mutual, but yeah, like it would be different if I had like 10 cats and I'm like constantly having to fill all their food bowls. Is this analogy hidden at all? Someday. Yeah. I'm, someday I'll have 10 cats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm reaching a little bit. I maybe have been home a little too long. And the analogies are getting a little bit too close to home. So that's true. None of these are all complicated analogies. These are like, hey, whenever you have a raccoon in your porch, it's a lot like, like, wait a second. <laughs> totally. So yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, one raccoon that? is just as big of a problem as ten raccoons. So I mean, the scale problem with raccoons are very, very different. With cats, Much like I can containers. See. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One container, fine. Ten, a little riskier, harder. Mm-hmm. Much like raccoons. I I I think this has legs. Like the whole like a raccoon does. Yeah. Four four walls, four legs. We're not doing any sort of octagon container here. That's I don't want to see a raccoon with any legs. (laughs) Okay. Well I I was gonna ask Jared just a public service announcement for people that want to try uh the build service. Uh where should they go? Same instructions as before? Yeah, I think uh the uh the Network, Tanzu Network, uh, which still has Pivotal in the name. So network.pivotal.io has the build service there, as well as the uh, uh, application service for Kubernetes uh, beta there. So you can try out this stuff, and it's uh, free to use in your heart's, uh, heart's content as long as it's a, it's a beta. Uh, when those links flip the, flip the GA, then uh, the lawyers uh, put a little bit more teeth in some of the user agreements. But yeah, by all means, you know, check it out. And I think... Uh, yeah, the, the scenarios that Richard describes are, are spot on. So if you are running Kubernetes at scale, again, at scale is when you're going to see this being something really useful. Um, and you want to get your teams to standardize in a way that's going to reduce your risk. That's going to be something that's that's really attractive. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we flip over to Scott to cover the, uh, the Kubernetes and, and containers focused um, milestones, Richard, what's your what's your latest... Maybe something you've even learned because you, as you described, you have worked from home uh, on some amount of regular basis for some time, not all the time. Mm-hmm. So you probably had some of your your tip last time about like no no housework, no chores. Something new kind of mm-hmm. come up on your radar now that you're like, okay, I'm I'm really in it now. I'm like fine tuning. I mean, I just assume you're like a fine tuned machine with everything you do. So I want to know what the latest. No, you give me too much credit. No, the one I was actually thinking about today, so I did a team seminar today and it reminded me 
when I went up to the uh, family beforehand saying, can we not stream anything right now? So I think it's even that understanding at home that when, you know, when you work from home and if everyone's competing for your bandwidth, you have, you have two things you should consider. A, plan for some of those heavy usage things. If you're going to go be in a major mm-hmm. important conference meeting, maybe ask your family not to run all their Windows update at that time or maybe tune it, tune it, you know, tone it down on the Netflix. But then secondarily, I've learned how important it is to have a quick backup option. So have your phone handy, ready to go. If you have to call back into a, a web conference because your internet dies, nobody wants to sit there for 20 minutes while you reboot your machine and try to join again. So I've just learned to make sure I've got that backup ready because everything seems to run off my, my internet and that's not always going to be there. Uh, that's an excellent point about like the internet traffic cop. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I now have ants in my pants because it's like, I'm looking at the clock, the clock and I'm, I know that my kids are about to go into Disney plus documentary o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see how yes. this goes, but <laughs> for next time, that's a great tip. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Scott, um, turning over to you, there were, there were two different milestones hit for the containers and Kubernetes, uh, focused offerings within the, the Tanzu portfolio. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you on which one you might want to cover first or second. Ooh. Uh, uh, well, let's talk about Tanzu Kubernetes Grid uh, mm-hmm. for a moment. So uh, just as, uh, as, as before, when we were talking about uh, Tanzu application service for Kubernetes, talk about using Kubernetes to make a flagship offering even more compelling and you know, VMware has done the same thing over the past months and years with investments that we've made in embedding Kubernetes into the kernel of the company's longtime flagship offering, vSphere. So that was announced a couple of weeks ago as vSphere 7 with Kubernetes. And the with Kubernetes piece is enabled by a technology called Tanzu Kubernetes Grid. And this Tanzu Kubernetes Grid is uh, a Kubernetes distribution that's aligned to open source embedded in that flagship offering, but can also be deployed and operated anywhere else you like on any public cloud or at the edge. And I feel like that gives our customers a lot of flexibility and that's important. So uh, tons of Kubernetes grid is a real thing is generally available as is uh, vSphere 7 with Kubernetes. Now those are really exciting announcements for us. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it in the, those terms of like, Hey, this is, this is boosting the, the, the relevancy, the usability, and the feature set of something that's really already out there and that you yeah. know and love. But that makes a lot of sense because it, the uh, that is, I think, probably the by and large where most folks are probably going to first get their hands on it. And speaking of our our friends at at Redmonk and their their packaging, um, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago they were on they were on a big packaging kick about how how you package things really is what can determine that you know Steve O'Grady used to make a lot of um, references to MySQL doing so well because of the way it was sort of packaged in with Linux and you know easy to fire up from from Linux. It's like, but yeah, I was thinking about how that is this is this is kind of right up that alley. It's totally taking that play of making something that you know, everyone's already using and then just making it easy to turn on this, this new yeah. capability. Part of the aspiration for Craig McLucky and Joe Beat, uh, two of the three individuals that created Kubernetes in the first place and are, are part of the VMware team, uh, part of their longtime aspiration and the aspiration of the community is to make Kubernetes boring, right? Like right now it's just, it's too interesting. 
Uh, and that's not good uh, <laughs> when it's when it's uh, endlessly interesting. And by embedding it in something like vSphere that hundreds of thousands of people use on a day-to-day basis, like you take a pretty significant step towards making the technology boring when you can use a familiar set of tools to provision a Kubernetes cluster the same way those users are used to provisioning virtual machines. And it, it allows something like vSphere to run containers and virtual machines side by side and Given the way that modern applications are composed, you know that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, big move. Yep. Um, and so then the other the other product was the Townsend Kubernetes Grid Integrated Edition, mm. which is the artist formerly known as uh, VMware Enterprise PKS. Yep. And so um, that one also is coming out both the the name getting updated. Uh, to TKGI, if you like using acronyms, that's now the the one point seven release. So similar to our uh, TAS two point nine is sort of proven, established, and out there. Um, TKGI is is out there and, and proven in a lot of um, folks who've been using that product for some time. Lots of uh, applications live in production running on what is now called uh, integrated edition of TKG. Yeah, and for the benefit of the audience, the reason that we made the decision to rename Enterprise PKS as Tanzu Kubernetes Grid Integrated Edition is because we we love we love us some long names uh, at VMware. Uh, was reason number one. Yeah, that's priority one. Priority two was being really clear that it, it like Tanzu Kubernetes Grid, is a Kubernetes distribution from our company. And we want to have a common nomenclature for how we talk about our Kubernetes distributions. Those represent our, our two flavors of bringing Kubernetes to our customers. Uh, and so renaming it just helps tighten that up a little bit. And so uh, we've just launched version 1.7 of uh, uh, TKGI. And it includes a, a number of additional features that our customers have been asking for to drive some new efficiencies and to, you know, help make sure that there's more resiliency in the in the design of the product. Yeah, there's one of those uh, version things that isn't always the most interesting thing to talk about, but TKGI supports what one sixteen seven of Kubernetes, mm-hmm. and I think TKG. Uh, I don't know, proper, what do we call the other one? I think it's 116.8. But I point that out because I went through all the, just before this call, I went through all the public clouds and said, what is their default version of their Kubernetes runtime? And not to throw shade, any little shade, but the point is, like, it's hard to run Kubernetes. It's even hard to run it as a service. But AKS and Azure, its default is 115. EKS mm-hmm. is 115. GKE is 114. So it's hard to, and they, so some of them support other versions optionally. Like I can jump up to, you know, maybe 116 on one of them, not all of them. But I just find that interesting, right? So there's value in running the latest, not just to say you're running the latest, but you're getting the most recent bug fixes. So it's not even just features, right? The patches, the things that come in each version, it's not about being on the latest for functionality all the time. It's about being on the latest to be the most secure. So it is nice if you are a TKGI, TKG customer, you're for the most part getting the you know best in industry compatibility with the latest upstream version of Kubernetes. That seems like a good deal for customers, sometimes goes under the radar. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's the first principle of our approach, right, is to maintain alignment with open source uh, in, in, our, in our offerings. So you see that in something like TKGI. You even see it in the way that we uh, bring other open source projects to the fore in offerings like Tanzu Mission Control, where we're using projects like Valero and Sonoboy to enable backup or conformance testing, et cetera. So 
that's just something that you'll see uh, across the entirety of our Tanzu portfolio. Before we kind of close out, Scott, uh, you owe us a, a lesson, a best practice, a tip for how you're surviving life at home, uh, you know, making the best of it. I'm staring at my new desk, which is a cardboard box on top of our foosball table and feeling like I might be ill-equipped to offer sound advice. Um, but you know, one of the things that we've done in our team that I really enjoy is we scheduled, uh, some water cooler time, uh, on a regular basis where the no work talk and uh, I just enjoyed the opportunity to get together with a bunch of colleagues and we were trading notes about what free concerts we were listening to and, uh, what educational tools we're using to help keep our kids dialed in. Uh, and, uh, you know, other resources that are helping us all. So I think just having that time that you would normally have in the hallways or, you know, in informal discussion and, and not having it on Slack, not having it in text, but having it like human to human staring across a, a Zoom session from someone is, is important. Yeah. Schedule, Schedule the water cooler time. time. Yep. All right. Well, that has been a, uh, a whirlwind tour of a bunch of good milestone announcements, lots to digest and there's, there's more coming. So um, look out for betas and, and bits that are available today uh, and, and continuing resources flowing out, talking through how to use these and, and get the most out of them. And we, we love getting feedback. So as you're kicking the tires, tell us how it's going. All right. Thanks folks. Thanks.